0: Lord, we do need you, and we are blessed to be able to come before you this morning and hear from your word, to worship you in our homes or outside or on the road, wherever we are. Uh, We thank you and praise you as our king and as our Lord, and we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you would like to say to us this morning and that we would be encouraged and that we would be filled up with joy and delight to serve you in all that we do, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So good morning, Gold Avenue Church family. This is Marissa. Uh, It's good to be able to worship the Lord and hear from his word, even as we're listening in different times and spaces. We're in week five of our summer series on Ezra and Nehemiah. And last week, Pastor Gina led us through Psalm 56, focusing on faith overcoming fear, And trusting in God as our deliverer. This Sunday, we'll be reading from Ezra 5 and 6, starting in chapter 5 verse 6. In this passage, we meet the exiles after 16 years of a break in the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. The sustained pressure had caused them to give in to discouragement and inaction until the Lord encouraged them through the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to keep on building. And so now we meet them again as they continue to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And so I'll begin in Ezra 5, verse 6, and we'll be summarizing some parts as we go. This is a copy of the letter that Tatnai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and shethar Bozani and their associates, the officials of Trans-Euphrates, sent to King Darius. The report they sent to him read as follows. To King Darius, cordial greetings. The king should know that we went to the district of Judah, to the temple of the great God. The people are building it with large stones and placing timbers in the walls. The work is being carried on with diligence and is making rapid progress under their direction. We questioned the elders and asked them, Who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? We also asked them their names, so that we could write down the names of their leaders for your information. This is the answer they gave us. We are servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, one that a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our ancestors angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar the Chaldean, king of Babylon, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. And then Cyrus gave back the articles taken from the temple by Nebuchadnezzar in order that they might be deposited in the new temple that would be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And the foundation of the temple was laid. From that day to the present, It's been under construction, but is not yet finished. Now, if it pleases the king, let a search be made in the royal archives of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did in fact issue a decree to rebuild this house of God in Jerusalem. Then let the king send us his decision on this matter. King Darius then issued an order and they searched the archives stored in the treasury at Babylon. A scroll was found in the citadel of Ecbatana in the province of Media, and this was written on it. Memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifices and let its foundations be laid. The costs are to be paid by the royal treasury. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, and wheat, salt, wine, and olive oil, as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, must be given them daily without fail, so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons." May God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts a hand to change this decree or to destroy this temple in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have decreed it. Let it be carried out with diligence. Then, because of the decree King Darius had sent, Tatani, governor of Trans-Euphrates and shethar Bozani and their associates, carried it out with diligence. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Iddo. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord and installed priests according to the book of Moses. On the 14th day of the first month, the exiles celebrated the Passover. The priests and the Levites had purified themselves and were all ceremonially clean. The Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for the exiles, for the relatives, of the priests, and for themselves. So the Israelites who had returned from the exile ate it, together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors, in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. For seven days they celebrated with joy the festival of unleavened bread, because the Lord had filled them with joy, by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria, so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. Thanks be to God. Who are you, and why are you here? These are the questions that stood at the center of my trip to Israel with Kuiper College in 2015. As we met as a group of students and friends of the college to prepare to walk where Jesus walked, my professor and trip leader asked us these questions. Who are you and why are you here? As we walked through the diverse and bustling streets of the old city of Jerusalem, through the Muslim, Jewish, and Christian quarters, and found ourselves at the Wailing Wall, this question stirred in my heart. Who am I and why am I here As we sat atop Mount Arbel, this mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee and a likely place where Jesus would have spent time alone with the Father, we were given time to spend with the Father and ponder the question, who am I and why am I here? And then we found ourselves at Caesarea Philippi, this city marked by detestable practices, idol worship, and sexual immorality a place where Jesus brought his disciples and asked them who people said he was, to which Peter responded, you are the Christ. And it was here that we asked ourselves, who am I and why am I here? These questions pulled at the core of who I am and what I did, and they're foundational questions that we have to ask ourselves and answer uh, in all times of life. And it's in our text that the exiles are being asked these same questions by these governing officials of Persia. Who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? What are the names of those who are constructing this building? And Now, the answer to these questions wouldn't be difficult, except that they're asked these questions after almost 70 years of living in a foreign nation, without the temple to their God, without their daily sacrifices and yearly festivals, and after 16 years where they had put their tools down due to the overwhelming pressure of the foreign king. And so it would be totally logical for these exiles to start struggling to understand their identity as God's chosen, holy, and set-apart people. And so to call them back and encourage them to keep building, God rose up Haggai and Zechariah. And just as we're excited to see the kingdom of God advance and the continued rebuilding of the temple, there's this clash of kingdoms. And the kingdom of darkness through these Persian officials threatens to thwart God's kingdom purposes again. And now this is not new This clash of kingdoms has been around since creation. God created all things good, including Adam and Eve, and then they were deceived by Satan to rebel against God. But God remained faithful to his people as his love endures forever. And then later, God raised up Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel, the nation through which God would bless the nations and reveal his character. But God's people were tempted into worshiping other gods, into doubting God's goodness, his provision, and his promises. So therefore, God raises up prophets, priests, and kings to call his people back. But they continue to rebel. And finally, the city of Jerusalem the temple are destroyed and God's people are sent into exile, wondering who they are and if God would bring them back again. And then finally, after almost 70 years, they're ordered to rebuild the temple by Cyrus, a foreign king. However, Artaxerxes halts their work, but God raises up this prophetic encouragement And then, in our text, the kingdom of darkness, which always opposes God's work, works through these Persian officials to to question the identity of God's people and their calling by saying, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? What are the names of those who are constructing this building? And so here they are, yet again, facing this opposition, and they're... To thinking about putting their tools down. I imagine the exiles would have felt worn out almost to the point of hopelessness. They had obeyed God by returning from the exile and had started to rebuild. They were trying to be his people. They'd repented, and yet they still face Opposition. I imagine the cries of their hearts and their prayers would have been, God, why do we keep getting opposed? We're trying to be your people. Why can't this be easier, God? They're tired, tired of trying and tired of talking about their identity and their calling amidst all this opposition. And they're ready to settle for what they already have and not continue walking into what God has for them. I mean, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. They're still under the control of this foreign nation who will seemingly stop their work anyways. And we too are under a lot of pressure right now. And we're being forced to dig deep into those questions of who we are and why we're here. And honestly, it can feel impossible to even begin to answer those questions, let alone actually live into them. For some of us, the time before March 13, 2020, was a time where we would welcome these questions of calling and identity. Some of us were students. Others were working full-time jobs. Others had lives filled with gatherings, volunteer opportunities, caring for children and grandchildren. Some of us were looking forward to family vacations, family gatherings, birthday parties, weddings. We were involved in sports and clubs and groups and Bible studies. And we were meeting together as a church family weekly. However, then COVID-19 entered Michigan. And it seems like since then, our calling and identity has encountered strong opposition. Many of us have been forced to work from home or not work at all. Some of us have had to give up those social gatherings and family time that used to be the highlight of our week. Some of us have lost our free time or date nights. Some of us have had to take on new responsibilities like homeschool parent. And some of us are forced to adjust to life with people all the time. And others have been forced to be alone all the time. It's been a season of sustained pressure. And so, like the exiles, we find ourselves tired. Tired of trying to move forward, and tired of talking about these questions of identity and calling. And then if COVID-19 wasn't enough, the last three weeks have bombarded us with heartbreak, anger, hurt, and misunderstanding. These past three weeks have been marked by conversations, protests, and opportunities for action surrounding racial injustice, police brutality, and the mission of the church. And then, on Pentecost Sunday, we woke up after a night of violent and destructive protests in Grand Rapids. We'd been praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a mighty move of God. And then the kingdom of darkness moved in opposition to the kingdom of God. And we find ourselves questioning again who we are and what we're called to do. We're confused by what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be the church in a time like this. We're facing these questions like, am I privileged? Do I have negative racial prejudice? What am I called to do in the midst of this? Maybe I should say something, or is it better to just remain silent? And honestly, it's exhausting. And at the end of the day, some of us are feeling like we don't know who we are, and we don't know what we're called to do. It seems like just when we're encouraged to do the work that God has called us to, opposition comes right on its heels, and we're left not knowing any of this. And the exiles find themselves in this similar place. After being encouraged by the prophets to keep out what God has called them to do and gearing up to rebuild after 16 years, opposition comes. Who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? What are the names of those who are constructing this building? while we might expect them to cave to the pressure once again and write this letter of surrender and defeat. That isn't the case. The kingdom of God advanced through the words of Haggai, be strong and work, for God is with you. This truth of who they are and whose they are has sunk deep into their hearts. And here we see the kingdom of God advance as they declare to this foreign king in their letter that the God of heaven and earth was their God. He was the one who authorized them to rebuild this temple. And he even used Cyrus, a foreign king, to decree that they could rebuild his temple. And then we wait and we hold our breath, awaiting Darius's reply. He's the new king. He could have overthrown the ruling of Cyrus or could have lied about the decree. Prime opportunity for opposition. And yet God moves in an astounding way He changes the heart of King Darius, the most powerful nation at that time. He was king of Persia and he causes him to fall in step with Cyrus's decree by blessing the rebuilding of the temple of God. And not only this, but Darius chooses to provide for all the needs of the exiles. Friends, God changed the heart of King Darius, completely thwarting the enemy's opportunity for opposition. The principalities of the kingdom of darkness were humiliated, as not only did Darius just allow the exiles to rebuild, but he blessed their work and provided for all of their needs so that they would serve the one true king. Friends, our God is victorious. This is who he is, and it's affirmed in Scripture. We read in Proverbs 21, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. And again, we read in Psalm 76, He breaks the spirit of rulers. He is feared by the kings of the earth. Amen. God is king and his kingdom is victorious. His will will be done and his kingdom will come because what he initiates, he sees to completion. And it's in identifying themselves as servants of the God of heaven and earth and living into his good plans and purposes that they find victory. The temple is completed and they are filled with joy. And this joyous celebration leads them to offer sacrifices for their sins, according to the law of Moses, to purify themselves and to celebrate these the Feast of Passover and Festival of Unleavened Bread as they submit themselves to their God and place their faith, confidence, and identity in him. And even though the glory of this temple paled in comparison to the former temple, even though only a remnant of the people remained, and even though the city was still in ruins, the people were filled with joy, were reminded yet again to not despise the day of small beginnings, because little did they know that this temple would point to the new covenant in Jesus, God himself dwelling among his people, laying down his life as the Passover lamb, and offering them forgiveness, life, and freedom. And then through his spirit, empowering them to embody, proclaim, and advance his kingdom, inviting people from every nation, tribe, and language to find their identity in him and align themselves with his kingdom purposes and so be filled with joy. Friends, this God who affirmed identity, calling, and purpose, and who filled his people with joy by destroying the devil's work and accomplishing his kingdom purposes, is still God today. When God initiates a work, he will see it to completion. And so when COVID-19 led to the closure of businesses, schools, and churches, we were all affected And like the exiles, we found ourselves amidst a pile of rubble. And even as some of us continued to build and seek the Lord for guidance in his kingdom, there was still so much uncertainty, fear, and discouragement. And now, within the past few weeks, we've yet again found ourselves surrounded by a pile of rubble. The city of Grand Rapids is boarded up due to these violent protests. And people are filled with anger, hurt, and fear. And even though businesses and churches are opening up, life feels far from normal. Through their time in the exile, God's people had been stripped of all of these things that they would define themselves by. And we too have been stripped of jobs, sports seasons, time with family and friends, Corporate worship on Sundays. And yet, it's in this place where we're invited to find our identity, purpose, and calling. In the one who never changes, who is always faithful, and whose love endures forever. We too are servants of the God of heaven and earth. And might I add, not only are we servants, but in Christ We are children of the God of heaven and earth. And I want to name here that we're hearing this message at different points in our walk with God. Some of us have found our identity in Christ and have been walking with Him for a long time. And others of us have found our identity in Christ, but maybe we've put our tools down and are not living into His good kingdom purposes and calling. And maybe there's others who haven't found their identity in Christ and are still living for the kingdom of this world. And so on this day, wherever you are, the invitation is open to find your identity in Christ for the first time and to choose to live according to his kingdom purposes, to be filled with joy, knowing that you belong to him and that what he initiates, he accomplishes. He will empower us to proclaim, embody, and advance his kingdom. When we find our identity in Jesus Christ and align ourselves with his kingdom purposes, we have the victory. As we're found in him, we're strengthened and we're able to stand our ground against the attacks of the enemy. In Christ, we're set free from the powers of sin and death. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In Christ, there's redemption. In his kingdom, there is justice. In his kingdom, there's humility. In his kingdom, there's unity. In his kingdom, there's joy. If our God can use a foreign king to accomplish his will and use the Roman cross, a shameful symbol of execution, to accomplish salvation. Our God can surely use a virus and the rulers, powers, and authorities in our nation and world to accomplish his kingdom purposes. And as we conclude, we're brought back to the central identity questions of who am I and why am I here And while these are essential questions, I believe the Lord is calling us deeper and first consider, who is our God? I want to encourage us to take time to declare the truth about who God is. Just as the exiles declared that their God was the God of heaven and earth. And they celebrated these festivals, acknowledging him as the one who could forgive them of their sins and deliver them from the kingdom of darkness. And in light of this, might we consider who we are? Do we consider ourselves children of the God of heaven and earth? And as those who are, find our identity in Christ. And so after naming who God is and who we are, let's consider kingdom purpose and calling. First by asking, what is God doing? I invite us to pause and consider this and ask the Lord to reveal his kingdom purposes in this season. We can look to his word and discern with other believers how God might be moving just as he was calling the exiles to rebuild the temple, what might God be calling us to rebuild? And as we discern what God might be doing, we're invited to ask how he wants to use us. What's he calling me to do? And in both our identity and calling, we know that what God initiates he will see to completion. And as we surrender to him and his kingdom purposes, we're filled with joy. Let's pray. God, you are on the throne. You have been on the throne from the beginning and you will be on the throne forevermore. We acknowledge you as the victorious king, And we we pray that you would be king of our hearts too. That we would find our identity, purpose, and calling in you. Because you are the only one who gives us life. You are the only one who gives us redemption. And we long to see your kingdom come here on earth. And so, God, you are a God of this city. You're the king of this people and the Lord of this nation. And there's no one like you. And we believe and step out in faith and pray that greater things would be would come here in our city, uh, knowing that you are a God who does great and marvelous things, even in the midst of a virus and in uh, chaotic times in our world. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.